The Ringer Wrestling Show is getting you closer to all things pro wrestling. The Masked Man Show with David and Kaz drops every Thursday on the feed, along with a new show hosted by pro wrestling superfan Evan Mack called Mac Mania. Plus, hear instant reactions to all the biggest WWE pay-per-view events with our post-pay-per-view shows. Check out The Ringer Wrestling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Boss, you're on the phone. It looks like you're on the phone, boss. Do we start now? Yeah, we started, yeah. But and now I have switched off. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Writer's House on Ringer FC. Hope you're all safe and well. Today, we've got a very special episode to celebrate the release of Arsene Wenger's film, Invincible. And later, we're going to be joined by the boss himself. But before that, we're going to talk about the movie, the boss and his legacy. And my guests are Ryan Hahn and Musa Kwonga. How are we doing, guys? Hey, man. Very well, very well. Are we cool? Yeah, good. Sorry. Go, what, what are you going to say? Because he's going to get swept under the carpet, right? He's wearing a short sleeve roll neck. Look at my short sleeve roll neck, Moose. That is a strong look. A short sleeve, can I be, short sleeve roll neck. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. Honestly, it works, man. It's the future. But Venga, i got to say, I was quite nervous about the, um, the Invincibles. The film? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Arsene Venga. Looking down when we were watch where we were watching from Ryan and me saying stuff, especially about the Peter Sellers stuff, and looking at him laughing with his head going back because and so it clipped it clipped to him in the film and his head went his head went back. I was like, oh, oh my gosh, that's so sweet! It was so sweet. It's so good, man. So for those who haven't seen it yet, the movie's really really good. It's available Blu-ray, DVD, and I think on some streaming services now. But it's from um, Gabriel Clark, who obviously did Bobby Robson, no, the Bobby Robson yeah. movie and Finding Jack Charlton. Mm. Christian Jean-Pierre, they've directed it. And it's brilliant. It is amazing. We went to, so we went oh, to the premiere. We've obviously got the chat with Arsene coming up in a bit, which was amazing. But mm. I was actually really surprised about the movie, about how good it was, to be honest, because mm. I think so often sports movies like this, yeah, they tell a story, but they're, they're sometimes creatively they fall a little bit down or it gets a little bit hammy. Yeah. Mm. But everything about this was really quite beautiful. I thought the way that they shot it, which is obviously, which was quite difficult because it was in COVID time. So they had super limited amount of time with Arsene. But even down to like the score, I thought the score of the movie was just really subtle. And actually yeah. for, as, a, as a, a creative body of work, it's a really good movie. There's some really good editorial decisions in there as well. Like for example, kind of fast tracking post 
mm. post Invincibles through to the latter stages of his Arsenal career. Mm. They showcase the FA Cup stuff, but it's, you know, they kind of swerve. It's not a spoiler, but they swerve the, the Champions League stuff in 2006. And I think they've done quite a good job framing that arc really well. So I was super impressed by it, actually, because mm. the, the book didn't go down too well last well, year. Well, this is exactly what I was going to say, right, yeah. Moose? Because I thought, coming off of the book, and yeah, I okay. love the boss, man, but it was underwhelming, man. Mm. For what I was expecting somebody of his intelligence and his nous and everything I know about him to be, I was thinking that this film's going to be another one of those, oh, the boss just like, going along with the flow, just going along and not giving too much moose. And then just, you know, you're thinking, well, I saw some Venga, so yeah, I'll watch it. But fuck me, it was so insightful. Can I suggest why the book wasn't like that? Why? Because he was still between jobs and he was still in football. You know what football's like, it's a very closed world. Maybe he wasn't ready to, to speak freely. And now he's in a job, he's got his feet under the table. And he's also processed where he was. Mm. The genius of the film is it really draws this out of him. I think by going to his hometown, by taking him back to familiar context and talking about his sense of adventure. And I think the best thing about the film is really it shows the human cost. Mm. Like this isn't some film that's like, wow, Invincible. It's like this man, it's like the Van Gogh thing. Like, you know, it's like this man, this man used his own blood to paint a masterpiece. Yes. And you are yes, left with yes. no doubt as to the fact that this man made sacrifices that actually went beyond those Jesus. that should be expected of anyone, even of a professional football. Like Emmanuel Petit, you know, for those peak years was a real pro. And even he was like, Arsene, there's actually a world out there. Mm. Like this man was, this man was obsessed to a point that was clearly by his own estimation, unhealthy. I think, and right. You know, you're saying that Moose, and when you said you, you absolutely summed it up perfectly because I think when Arsenal fans, especially the Arsenal fans towards the latter stages, because even myself, I felt very sorry for him. But I felt sorry for him in a way that I wish he had gone. Yes. When you hear him say that maybe 2007, he, was, he wanted to leave. Um, I'm not going to say too much, but like he wanted to leave. I wish he did. Because when I watched it, honestly, there was times where my gut wrenched. He said what we all suspected. This is the weird thing about it. There were no surprises. Like mm. I remember thinking at a certain point, they might have said to Ryan, it's almost like he is synonymous with Arsenal. Like he's become the club, right? Mm. Because there's nothing, he's, he's basically like so identified with it, he can't leave. And he literally says that in the, in the movie. He's like, I identified myself with a club. Mm. And when you do that, you're like, I don't have an identity beyond it, which is of course, extremely unhealthy for mm-hmm. both the Quite institution and well. the individual. Yeah, very, it's, it is sad. Yeah. I was talking to Gabriel about this afterwards, Gabriel Clark, and um, I was saying that, Something I actually wanted to ask him, which we didn't ask him, but um, I'm not sure if he would have been that open about it. But before I move on to that, I think the thing about 2007 was that uh, I'm, I'm still not sure it's, it's, if it's complete public knowledge, but how integral him staying was to Arsenal getting funding for the new stadium. So much of, so much of, the, uh, of the loans and the sponsorship oh, deals were tied up in the stability that Arsene Wenger gave Arsenal and, gave, the, and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, the kind of assurances that he would would remain there through the, the transition to the new stadium. That is how much of a big deal this guy was to Arsenal Football Club at the time and therefore people who were lending out the money, like big, big, yeah. big banks and stuff like that and Emirates as sponsors. They needed him there for, for the security and the stability the, yeah. that he gave. Just, yeah, he, he gave them, he gave them the, the collateral. He was security. Yeah, 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 which is unbelievable. You know what was really sad? Right, is that 
when you hear it from Arsene Wenger's mouth, right, when he said, when they were trying to sell those flats at Highbury and they didn't source it out to people who were experts in it, Arsenal tried to do it to the point where one guy came in and kind of bailed them out. I think it was something like 16 million quid. And he said, Arsenal Football Club nearly went under if they didn't get that money. Arsenal. Yeah. It was like, you, you hear him say that and you think to yourself, really? That's the pressure? And I'm thinking that Arsene Wenger and a lot of people are pro- probably think um, the same things like, yeah, he's running the club from top to bottom. He's in charge of everything. He won't let nobody else in. He's doing this. And when you watch it, I implore every single Arsenal fan who even says they're an Arsenal fan, right? And especially the fans who gave him that unbelievable amount of stick towards the end with the banners, with all the stuff like that. You have to watch this. And all I'd want from you as Arsenal fans is that if you watch that and you feel I was wrong, just admit that to yourself. What, what that guy done for our club. I, I know it now. I know it now. And I'm t- I, I, honestly, I, c- I can't tell you how I feel about him as a man. And we were so privileged to be sitting with him. A hundred percent, man. I think it's very, very easy to get revisionist after the fact, right? Mm. But in those last few years at Arsenal, the thing that I was going to say was you could be critical of what he was doing at Arsenal or you could be critical of how Arsenal was, was, go, was going as a football club without it becoming what it became. This kind of whipping everyone up into a frenzy mm. just did no one any favours because if, yeah, you look at, if you look at the whole timeline now, and everyone knew it was an open secret that he'd knocked back big clubs. Oh my God. The theory that I had was if you, if you, if you look at where he'd left, he didn't leave until this new structure at Arsenal was in place. Yes. Because I genuinely think, based on the career moves that he made, he looked around, looked at the ownership, looked at the personnel and was just like, if I go now, it's kind of like the final safeguard. I'm the final safeguard here. for yeah. it. And, and, and you know that there's an element of truth to that in the fact that they replaced him Absolutely. with about four people. He was doing Absolutely. four jobs. Yeah. So if he, if he moved, you essentially create this mm-hmm. power vacuum at a club that was in turmoil anyway. Yes. The kind of sacrifices he made from a personal level, knocking back the chance to go in, manage Real Madrid, win the Champions League. He would have won the Champions League. He could have ended Listen, his career with right. like three or four Champions Leagues. The night before I had to do that, I, I hosted David Dean and they mentioned 2007 when David Dean, when he left, Arsene Wenger said, I wanted to leave. He said that on the night. Mm. Um, when we'd done it at the Palladium. And David Dean made a joke um, about, you know, I left, but I didn't want you to leave. I was still, I was a majority shareholder. It made, for, 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 for me, right, I was, honestly, I was, I was like, that made me feel very uncomfortable. Mm. Because you, 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 got, you got taken out of the club, unfortunately, because we did need him there. For, we did need him there with, with Arsene Wenger. But you, you were happy with Arsene Wenger staying there, even though, or even if he's saying it in joke, even though he wanted to leave as well. And he, he couldn't leave. And he didn't leave. He didn't leave. It was, it was one of the moments in the night, guys, where I felt a bit uncomfortable. Mm. Because as I much suppose, as it was a joke, yeah. as much as it was a joke, Moose, it really grated with me deeply. It made me feel... Oh my God, it's a joke, but is it? Because it's a joke? A, because it's I like she you didn't know. I wish she didn't make the joke. Safe. 
You know that your investment is safe with Wenger there. You know that he can take the heat and take the pain. And the thing I, I said this to Ryan, I think, um, what really saddened me and what will always anger me is that the greatest manager in Arsenal's history mm. became the subject of a feeding frenzy by people that really had no right to even talk about that man like that. I, I really hated to see the online attacks, you know, and they were orchestrated. Mm. And I know he took all of it in his stride, but I don't think he deserved it. I don't think it diminishes him in the end because I think that ultimately you know, that, that, that anger will fade and the memories. I mean, like I'm sure Herbert Chapman has some absolute shockers, right? Yeah. Um, and no one remembers the bad Sir Alex Ferguson seasons. Everyone remembers the peaks and even later of Wenger, quite frankly, if you look at the, the new Arsenal crop now who are playing in a very kind of Wenger tradition, then, you know, and obviously like, you know, Arteta to some extent is a kind of disciple of Wenger. If you look at it that way, then yes. we can see that actually the transitions worked. And also like, I think, I think in football, because, you know, this 24 hours of news cycle, the rest of it, it's difficult to process exactly what's happening for a club in the long term. But the structures that Wenger has left Arsenal with are to me more satisfying than the ones that United have been left with. Mm. Even with the ownership at Arsenal being what it is, I feel like Arsenal's identity, I've always felt this, I've always felt Arsenal's identity was only like one or two good managers away from returning entirely. Mm. And I still feel that. I still feel that about it. So Yeah, something that you both said actually I think is quite interesting. Like I think with the David Dean thing, again, a lot of people forget. It's similar with what Alex Ferguson you know, Alex Ferguson is the reason the Glazers arrived at Manchester United. Mm-hmm. David mm-hmm. Dean is the reason that Stan Kroenke arrived at Arsenal. David Dean did some wonderful things for Arsenal Football Club, but he also wanted them to move to Wembley Stadium. No one is bulletproof. And Arsene Wenger wasn't bulletproof. And Arsene Wenger made a lot of mistakes, some of which he admitted to, many he admitted to in the movie. Mm. But he's a human being. And I think that the thing for me, which I always, no matter how frustrated I was with Arsenal as a fan, I could never have brought it on myself to have uh, said some of the things about him as a person Mm. that he got. He dealt with that his whole career, though, from the jump, like from the start, like accusations about his private life from the get go. Oh, my God, the way he dealt with that. You were really, really paying attention to what was going on at Arsenal for a long time. And you allowed yourself to step back. Look at it now compared to those years where everyone was like, we should be winning the league. Like, fuck fourth. You take fourth now. Fuck you now. Yes. That question. You know, the thing as well, right, is that um, there's a bit in the film as well where because I remember saying about the fourth, but at the time, obviously, as an Arsenal, you want Arsenal to be challenging, but not having a clue, a fucking clue of what Arsene Wenger's going through from upstairs, what he's got to do for the club just to keep the club it was. And then him, he totally understand what he said when he said fourth is a trophy. Mm-hmm. I get, I, when, it, when I said it in the film, I heard it, I was like, oh, fuck me. And then when I watched the film, listen to everything and you think to yourself, of course fucking fourth is a trophy to this man. Of course it is. I felt fucking terrible, man. I just fucking wish I could take that all back. I wish I did. I wish I could. Yeah. Wow. I wish I had the foresight to be able to think, I wonder why he's saying that. Yeah, but you know why? You know why? You look at, you look at 99% of top level managers that were around in Europe at the time. Not one of them would have acted that way. That's the difference. This is why he's so special. I should have even known. We knew have been at Arsenal at the time. Like, if I, <laughs> if I speak, there are rats in the dressing room. 
Yeah, exactly. Wenger never, ever, ever think of some of the shit that some players put him through through his career. Mm-hmm. Like, was he perfect? No, he probably mishandled mm-hmm. a couple of players that he would probably admit to. How many people do you come out and hear talk about Wenger in a bad way, like ex-players? None. And he, we asked him, didn't we? We said, "Oh, you asked him in the, the interview." You know, still hear mm-hmm. from everyone. He's just like, "Yeah, they're all cool." Exactly. Adebayo must have been a really painful thing for Wenger because it must have been like an elk all over again when you get someone that you, in your mm. mind, can lead the line for the next five, mm. 10 years. And then, yeah. And yeah. then you're like, oh my gosh, he's gone after a season. There was so much development in him. You yeah. know what, with, as well, Moose, you know what, re, what is really sad about that is because when you look at Arsene Wenger and how innocent he was in what these players may do to him, mm. because he's so, he's, so, he's so fucking focused on what he believes this club will do with them. He didn't think for one minute that they were going to fucking up It's like Geppetto, him. isn't it? Geppetto and exactly Pinocchio. Exactly like, like Geppetto. Geppetto. I'm surprised that like the beginning of the documentary wasn't just Gabriel Clark on this completely abandoned island walking to the very top <laughs> with windy conditions. And then there's a guy just stood there with a hood. He turns around oh, yes. and it's actually fucking Arsene Wenger. And Arsene was just like, I vowed after that day never to train another youth prospect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. That. Do you know that's such a brilliant analogy because uh, Arsene Wenger is almost unique among football managers in that he holds up a mirror to every player in terms of what they could have been if they'd just taken mm. his advice. Yes. He holds up a mirror for everyone because Wenger was basically like, do you know what? If you want to come and work with me and train and do your thing, you're mm. going to be really good, but the door's yeah. always going to be open for you to run out. And Wenger mm. was basically like, I'm here if you want to make it. Almost like a kind of, basically like a youth yeah, club Moose, coach. This is why it felt so fucking beautiful for me when he said, I came too late for you. Well, and you know so how he yeah, says yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, of course. He says yeah, yeah. it in a way where he just look and because you could see what he's thinking in his mind. And he just said, oh, I can't even imagine what I did. I just came too late for you. Bam, moved on. He's moved he envisaged on. it. But it's like when Bobby Robson said that thing about like, we were this close. It's the same thing oh. because you know that there are oh, things, God, that is fucking there tragic. are, there are very rare things that great, there's a very, there's a very rare thing, Ian, great characters in football see visions and futures that none of us see, right? It's the kind of like, they see, they imagine, because Wenger, this is, you know, Wenger said it, Wenger converted to Ram. Wenger's, Wenger, well, actually, we'll, we'll talk about that. That will come, come later. Basically, mm. Wenger sees things in footballers and in patterns of play that almost no other managers see. And he also knows if people just buy into what I'm doing, I'm not going to force them. I'm not going to be harsh, but if they buy into it, it's going to happen. And if you look at those players that left Arsenal, they all, like how many of them actually really soared afterwards? Look at the mm. career Anelka had at a bio. None of them really kicked on, to be honest. Mm. Ron Van Persie won the Premier League, but then after that. No, but even, but, that, but, but Van Persie like was absolutely amazing. Mm. But I think he did great things at Arsenal. Injury was, you know, held him back as well. And obviously Nasri did well at City, you know, no question about that. But I think, I still believe that Nasri in a fully functional Arsenal team does more than he does. Oh, he kills. He Look, finishes. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. His ex-players regard him so highly that one of them became a literal fucking president of their country. And the first thing they did, <laughs> and the first thing they well. did was gave him the highest award that his country can offer anyone. Right. I think it was beautiful even, right, when you saw him call him up onto the stage to say, I have to give this to my coach, Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger didn't even know he was going. He said, yeah, okay, I'll come. And George Ware presented him with the gift of the coach. It's fucking It's unbelievable. Who else, what other coaches ever received that type of love? I've not seen it. 
I'm but that type it. of like that, that kind of like you know in your at moment that level. because it's about something else it's not just about the football it's about society it's about George Weah being from Liberia like from a poor part of like one of the poorest countries mm. in the world most disrespected Liberia's history such a disrespected country like by so many and this is like a Frenchman looking at like a black African and black Africans the way they're treated in football is a different mm. level a different level, right? In Europe in the early 90s as well. Oh, oh, in the man. early in 90s. Italy. And Wenger had, he was working with a lot of black black men who, you know, like you had Lilian Turam, Thierry Henry, all these mm. people know for a fact, we probably would not have heard of, we probably, put it this way, we would not be talking about Lilian Turam, Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry, Right. And, and George Ware right now, we would not be talking about 30s no. if they had not met Arsene Wenger. No. We wouldn't, we'd never, we, yes. to be honest, Absolute put money on it. Moves. We would not have heard, brilliant moves. we would not have heard of at least two of them. We wouldn't have heard of them. Absolutely bang on. Even when you, you listen to people like Xavi and Iniesta and Messi, Maradona, I've heard, when they spoke about Arsenal and the way Arsenal played football, they all spoke about Arsene Wenger and Arsenal's football, the way Arsenal played. Remember, when Arsenal Wenger came, it wasn't long before we were we were they were we were still singing boring boring Arsenal. Mm-hmm. They mm. were singing that. That stopped. That's he transformed it. He transformed it in a few years. Completely, everything. like one old to the Arsenal was so iconic. It was so mm. it was it was the core tenet of first division football. And Wenger, it was it was. I was probably scoring did, the goal. What, what, yeah, what, what? Yeah, of course you were. Yeah, I remember because I was looking. I, was, I used to look. I used to get my world soccer. It was always like you know right. Right, 81, <laughs> right, 37, you know. But Wenger in just, in, in not even a decade, heart in five years, mm. you know, he played football that was more futuristic. And this is weird for people to hear this because I'm an old man, but he played football that was more futuristic than Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. Because Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, as brilliant as it was, you saw the ancestry of it. You'd mm. seen the ancestry in 2000, um, when Liverpool, when, when Barcelona came to Anfield and won three one with that amazing sort of sixty pass move that Overmars scored, you saw the ancestry. Right, yeah. In terms of what Wenger did, Wenger did something that was it legitimately felt ten years in the future. That is the it's greatest true. accolade I can. You'd watch yeah. It, yeah. You can go back and watch games from that era now, and this was one of the great things about the movie was we got to watch a hell of a lot of footage from that era in it, and it completely stands up. Yeah. It is one of the most complete football teams I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. It's like I, I honestly have, and it, and it, it, I said it a number of times before. The fact that like 2004 to 2006, maybe actually 2002 to 2006, there is a legitimate shout that Arsenal were the best side in Europe for at least three of those seasons in Europe. Yeah. And yeah, should have won. Yeah. Yes. Maybe not. They should have won two thousand six. They, they should have won at least won. fucking one. They should have won they one. Won. Yeah. They should have won one. What you said before, Musa, about how, you know, a, a coach being so beloved. A coach in the modern era to be so beloved without winning the Champions like, League or winning a, a, any European trophy. Of course, yeah. I forgot. I because it shows, super, this is, super Wenger rare, proves yeah. that greatness is about something more than trophies. And it yeah. always has been. It always, always, always has been. Because look, in the days before, novels had book prizes. Everyone remembers uh, the Tolstoys, right? Everyone remembers that. Everyone remembers like a, a Cervantes and a Don Quixote, right? There was no book awards for that. It was just how the book made you feel. Mm-hmm. And you know, Bobby Robson, people look at that, like Italian 90, and no one was going, oh my God, they didn't, because Evan remembers how it felt. Evan remembers the journey that they took them on. And the thing about Wenger, you know, it, I say this a thousand times, but I've never seen football like the 4-0 against West Ham when it's 4-0 at half time. I just never seen it. 
with Mark Overmars leaving vapor trails across Highbury. Oh, <laughs> vapor, tra- vapor trails. <laughs> Listen, vapor tra- air, traffic, air traffic control. We have a disturbance. <laughs> we have a disturbance. The thing is, like okay, Overmars is pure. Like you know, actually, the only oh, reason I'm this God. close to the ground is so that radar doesn't pick me up. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that was football. That was football from another planet. It was another planet. Was it, was it in, the, in the FA Cup against Portsmouth and they were just put on the oh, show? Oh, 5-1. Yeah, yeah 5-1. Arsenal were just... That, the thing about Arsenal Portsmouth was, gave yeah. them a stand innovation. Yeah, you know, there, there were some games, FA Cup games were like, you know, some clubs just go through. But then there are certain times it's like, okay, you know, we're going to put on a real show because we know that this club, we respect them so much, we'll put on a full show. We'll give them the full Arsenal. Mm. This is why you owe it to those underdog teams to let them mm. understand why you are where you are yes. playing at the top end and they are playing in the league they're playing in because you're going to come against them and you're a top professional and you're going to show them why you're a top professional. Yeah. I remember, you know something, it was, I didn't even realise, I didn't even realise I was doing it at the time, but I remember we played against Yeovil. Yeah, I knew you were going to mention Yeovil. Right? I knew at the hat trick. And the, the thing with yeah. Yeovil is that they were at the time a giant killing club. Yes. And like we went there I remember George Graham said, listen, they've come here to see you lot fucking lose. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. And that team believed that they can beat you. So and you lot no- go out noise, there. noise. Honestly. And it, you know what? He gave us a speech and told, then told, honestly, once he finished the speech, then Tony Adams went to the next level of fucking, and it was like, honestly, we went out there and they didn't have a fucking chance, bro. The pitch was big. It couldn't get near us. We passed around. And I remember going into the bar afterwards and their players coming in, getting photos, taking, getting the shirts, doing this, getting autographs, taking pictures with their, with their families, with proper cameras, talking about, my God, we, we know like the levels, but fuck me, we saw the levels today. We couldn't get near anyone today. The chip and, you, know, you put on them. The chip you put on them. I remember when they came in and they said, that chip you scored, you know, it just like, it made, it literally made us like say, oh my God, yeah, okay, we, we, we get it now. That is what you need to do to teams. And that is what Arsenal done to teams. That's what Arsenal done to Portsmouth. That's what Arsenal done to a Southampton team or any team that came to Arsenal. They know that if they have that spell, we're finished. Yes. And Arsenal were able to do that on a regular basis. And one of the saddest things for me with the Arsenal Invincibles is that they did not win a Champions League in that time. Mm. Everybody talks about the invincible year and yeah, it's amazing. Even Alex Ferguson says in the film, this is set apart from anything that was I've one of the best. His, his appearance in the it movie was, actually, what I think line was one that of the was. best yeah. things about It's beautiful, the movie. wasn't it? Yeah. The respect, yeah. the respect, right? There are some teams that win the Champions League and it doesn't create a legacy. It's just, oh, they just won the trophy that year. But if Arsenal yeah. had won, because the style they played, then everyone could tell that Arsenal weren't just trying to win. They were trying to do it in a particular way. Yeah. If they'd won the Champions League, it would have validated a form of football, a yeah. style of it's football. Like if, it's like yeah. if Holland, if Holland won in 74 and 78, yeah. world football changes for me. It changes everything. It changes because it already did to an extent, but in terms of like how things are coached from top to bottom, mm. because then the answer is, oh, but beauty is the key to success. Mm. That becomes the narrative. Yeah. One quick question before we get into the interview, right? What's your favourite memory or moment of playing under Arsene? I think it was early days, right, when, um, when he came. And remember, I was still, was still raw from just getting hammered. And I think I've said it before on the podcast about just coming in, knowing you're going to get fucking hammered. 
whether you're playing good or bad. And I think we were 1-0 down, maybe at home. It, it was definitely at home. We were 1-0 down because I remember it being at Highbury and I remember walking down the tunnel feeling like, oh, fucking hell, here we go. And it was early in his tenure and we went in the dressing room and like I said, he never said anything for 10 minutes, just didn't say anything. And so we're all looking around. At, well, okay, he's going to, obviously he's calming down. He's going to come in and blast us. And then I remember after 10 minutes, he came in and he just, just went through everybody just slowly, goalie, well played. You know what I mean? You, you know, well done to that, such as that. Well done, Lee Dixon. We're playing really well. They scored a nice goal, but you know, we're playing well. We, we've not done a, nothing wrong. Just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and, and I remember he said to me, he, he said to me um, in, in, in particular, you're, you're, you're causing them a lot of problems. Your time, your, something's going to happen for you. You're causing them a lot of problems. Keep doing what you're doing. You don't need to change anything. Kind of said that to everybody. Just keep playing because I know how good we are. It's, it was that kind of narrative was, I know how good we are. And I think that they're playing at top. They're, they're, they're top what they're doing. We're just unlucky at the moment, but we're doing all the right. And I remember him saying that, Ryan. And it, I think it's probably the first time in my football career. I remember when Wenger got there, I was like 32, something like that. Mm. And it's probably the first, first time in my career that I'm sat in the dressing room literally fucking needing speed block to get back out there. Literally needed blocks because I would have went out there and done anything for him because he made me feel like, just go, just get out there and just, just go and do, your, just do what you're doing. I, I just felt like I wasn't being whipped. Mm. I wasn't being like, it wasn't driven by fear. It was driven purely by I know how good you are. We're playing very well. They're playing the best that they can play. So just, just go out and do what you're doing. We ended up winning, I think, like before 4-1 or something. Amazing. Something like that. And it was, it was one, of, it's, it's like you mentioned it there, right? And it's the first thing that's come back to my mind because it was the first time it ever happened. Mm. Even Steve Copper would come in and someone would have blasted and then Steve Copper would say, this is a fucking joke. What's going on? We're training well all week and now you're coming and doing this. It was like, like, like that kind of vibe. And he came in nothing and it was it's liberating it was, it was liberating. It, exactly Moose. Mm. exactly what it was because for the one of the first times in my career i'm leaving the dressing room for the second half thinking i haven't been whipped to go and perform i'm going to perform because i've got the ability and i've got the capability of going out and being better than i was just now whatever it, you know it didn't need to be this false fucking drive and you know, it was something that I'll never forget. You know, it's amazing. The greatest gift, I think, in a game of so much pressure, fans, you know, family watching, all the rest of it, media, is to enable your players to play with freedom. And if you look at the peak Wenger teams, the freedom with which they appeared to mm -hmm. be playing was something to behold. And maybe, that's, maybe behold. that's his gift, I guess. Maybe that's yes, his gift. Maybe it is, because I've, like I say, Ryan, it's a great question. Because I've, ne I've never witnessed that before. Never witnessed that before. And you know what? It's only Wenger done it. Everyone else after I went to, went to Forest, David Platt was slaughtering people. Went to West Ham, Harry Redknapp, that's all he fucking done. Hammer people. Forest went there, David, David Platt was a manager, hammered people. John Barnes came in, Celtic, hammered people. Stan Turner at Burnley, hammered people. But, but, but by this time, going into those dressing rooms after being with Wenger, I was like, I was going like that. No, man, you lot need to chill, man. You lot need to relax. <laughs> and one of the things that I regret more than anything else, right, is not being able to, to coach people because that would be my vibe. 
That would be my vibe. I would literally put it all on the players. You are playing here because you've got the ability and the capability. And I'm not going to whip you to perform. I want you to perform because it's the right thing to do and you've got the capability to do it. You say that though, but after episode one, I was just like, oh, fuck, man, fuck. And, and you were just like, Ryan, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing, man. And relax. Are you enjoying this? I like the way you're doing the EQ. I like the edits. Yeah, just, just yeah, keep man. doing it. Beautiful. Just, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Relax. Yeah. I, I, I swear to God, I can't even lie. Arsene Wenger coming to Arsenal and like I say, the first time, not saying it, it's the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. It changed the way I believed it should be. And if I ever went into management, it's how I would manage. I would not be whipping my players. I would not be leading by fear. No, I wanted to show you the photo of N'Golo Kante. Yeah, let me see it because oh, it's so it's so amazing. First, I got to welcome everybody. Welcome the boss, um, Arsene Wenger, to write his house. But we was talking just now, and the boss was telling me this story about N'Golo Kante, right? And yeah, how yeah. because the boss wanted to sign him, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo. But boss, tell him about the N'Golo Kante and what happened where people didn't take didn't want him. Uh, he didn't find the club in France, and my friend who. He's from Suren, in fact, and they was offered everywhere and didn't find the club. And finally, he signed in Boulogne, uh, was Division 3, and uh, because nobody took him. Did you see him at this time? Small. Did you see him no, at this I time? didn't see him personally. I, I, did, I saw him only once he played in uh, uh, Ligue 1 in France. He went from Boulogne to Caen. Mm. Caen is close to Boulogne, you know. But uh, we had, my friend told me many times, take this player because he's, uh, he's uh, exceptional, you know. And he was so small, so tiny, uh, that everybody was reluctant to take him. But uh, today, uh, of course, uh, I, at that time I haven't seen him. I, I regret because he was, was for free. Mm. You know? And uh, he would have been an exceptional signing. And, uh, yeah, not a bad uh, one. Well, that's not the type of question I was going to ask. What was you going to ask? <laughs> I was going to ask which player would you most have liked to work with? Well, uh, you, you have uh, two players, Messi, for example, you know, who was uh, exceptional. I, I, I would not say uh, when you sign these players that you like to work with. You just enjoy right, to right. watch them uh, uh, play in training every day and you wonder why why you paid to do this job, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 so, yeah. I wanted to actually ask you something very non-football related to start. I wanted to take you back to Dutlenheim when you were younger. Because mm -hmm. obviously your parents had, it was a pub or a bar, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason I wanted to ask you something was because when David Bowie died, I think you were the only mm -hmm. football manager who mentioned his death in a press conference. You were talking about his passing and how he, what he meant to your generation. So we were wondering, what were your early musical memories? Mm. Do you have any musical memories growing up in, because it was a social space and obviously there would have been music. Yeah, the, the social space and the music I heard was the German boom papa, you know, <laughs> <laughs> of the village, of the music of the village that was very, very basic and very uh, anti-modern today. But uh, that's what I've been educated with, with German songs. In Alsace, as an Alsatian, born after the Second World War. Mm. You know, I was born 49. And uh, so it was still a very strong German influence, musical mm. and football influence. But as well, 
hate for Germans at mm. the time, so mm. we were not allowed uh, uh, to like Germans. And <laughs> at the end of the day, I think it was uh, the pub or the, the restaurant, you know, is good when you're a kid because you see only all the people when you, and you watch at them and uh, you try to understand what they say. For me, maybe I learned to observe people there and uh, uh, I, I uh, got the, the Alsatian values, but uh, my luck was it was a bicultural influence. I had the German culture and the French culture, and uh, I still think I was uh, on the uh, working side, uh, maybe a bit more German influence, you know. Yeah. And, but I had French culture because when I went to school, I learned French. And I learned French at school with my parents. We spoke a dialect that was more German than French. Mm. So what about the music then? So when, when did you get into Bowie and what about Bob Marley and people? What, 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 was, you, what was you into? When I was uh, later, much later. because mm. uh, uh, Like a university thing? Yeah. Until uh, 1920, I did not leave my village. Never t I t didn't take a plane until the age of 20. I was with the horses in the fields, you know, and uh, so I have complete, complete physical education in the fields, you know, all physical work, hard work. So I was not scared to work hard, and uh, I became a bit more, uh, what you call sophisticated maybe, uh, later at university, but I was basically, uh, I had no coach until the age of 20. When I look back in my life, I think, how could you... Uh, and uh, spend your whole life in football when you had no coach until 20, uh, it looks to me impossible. But I had the luck, uh, I, I would say uh, people's life is a mixture of having a, a, not, a right attitude mm. and the luck to meet somebody who has confidence in mm. you. Mm. And uh, when I look back, my life is a bit a miracle, but I always met people who gave me a chance. Yeah. You say miracle, but I want to throw this in because I was watching this film and I was just thinking, this man takes risks. Like, you risk a lot of things, but you keep, you know, you promise, well, you don't promise, you say you can go invincible. You risk, like, you develop Henri and, like, Vieira. These are, like, you didn't do obvious things. And I was like, where did your, where does your appetite for risk come from? I, uh, it, it's a bit scary, yes, because from one day to the next, I moved as a established coach in France to Japan to start from nowhere. And I would say it's, uh, uh, to put myself, I, I would say today, uh, what I learned in, in your life, you have to challenge yourself, you know. And I met many uh, top-level people in my life, most of the time, there are more technical monsters than mental monsters because, uh, uh, and most of the people I know have uh, are very early in their life at a good, very good level and they move not much forward uh, after, you know. And uh, to do that, you have to accept the challenges. And I felt always, I had that very young, that uh, desire to expose myself, mm. to see how far can I go, you right. know. And uh, maybe I would say uh, I was ready to suffer. And suffering, suffering helps you to discover. I'm just laughing because Simeone said that recently. The suffering is the necessary. Suffering is necessary. <laughs> the suffering, yeah, because it helps you to discover who you really are. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, I have Ian next to me. When you look at his uh, life, 
he has challenged himself mm. and uh, he, he it was impossible basically for him to be where he is today if he had not done that so yeah. so i i uh, you know at arsenal they asked me to put a sentence inside the training ground and i put uh, i asked them to put the sentence on the wall that says uh, here you have the opportunity to discover the greatness that is in each of you because on daily life we forget often how good we are and uh, as well daily life is boring you know uh, it's repetitive uh, you have to fight against your moods mm. and uh, you forget how good you are so uh, the challenge what is good in sport the challenge uh, that you have to win football games when you do it you feel ah i'm I'm not so bad, you know. Right, right. And uh, that's what is great in sport. In daily life, you never know how good you are. Boss, you know, I wanted to ask you because um, it's something that I was always really quite, um, I, I can't, di disappointed it never happened with, with Anelka and then Henri was come. Did you always have Henri to come there? Because obviously Anelka left us with, with you know, it just happened. All these brother, everything happened. Was, was your plan to have them two together at some yeah. stage? And yeah, so, would would Anelka have played nine, and Henri would have stayed there? Yeah. Would you have yeah, still? Exactly. Oh, geez, I knew it. You know, I just knew it because I'm thinking to myself. Honestly, moves my my head's blown because I'm so now the boss because the boss said had Burkamp as well and you know? Burkamp oh as well. Goodness. So you're thinking so four centre backs. The poor oh, centre-back. <laughs> yeah, but then what the, happens to Thierry? Because then Thierry, because yeah. you're the one who turned him into the centre-forward. Exactly. Was. Is it because of the Anelka didn't Exactly, come? because Anelka left. So, uh, you know, some of life is as well coincidence here, and it is like that, you know. And uh, what is it about the great players? They take the opportunities when they get them. Yes. And uh, it's a bit part of life as well. If you think like Henri was essentially like, a, a prototype for the modern day wide forward you know like a Mane Salah, Salah yeah. Yeah, goal scoring yeah. players that would start wide and drift even when you played centre forward mm. he spent a lot of time yeah. yes mm. on the left huh? yeah. yeah, that's why he had to go at Pires always <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you doing here that, my friend that was the beauty about that team though the early ones there was so much movement there oh, there yeah. were intelligent players you know Freddie had the timing of the runs the desire to win and Pires was more a, uh, a smiling killer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, if I, I was gonna, I was gonna say if they, if she asked me last night, I wanted to speak to Alex. If Alex asked me, the two, the play, the two players I'd have played, I'd have loved to have played with. At Arsenal. Obviously, I was lucky enough to play with Dennis, but it would be Cesc Fabregas and Perez. I, I, honestly, I adore these guys, man. I adore Perez and and, and Cesc Fabregas. Cesc Fabregas is one of the best things I've ever Can seen. Can I say this? Mm -hmm. I'm, now that you're here, I, I I'm talking to Mr. Wenger. I have got a bone to pick with you. It annoys me because I saw the 4 4 was, Oh, it's a 4 4 like normal. And I'm like, but everything's in the wrong place. The winger is off the wrong foot. The 10 is not the 10. Mm. Jungberg was arriving at the last minute. Like, th at the time when Jungberg got like all those like 1 0, 1 0, yes. 2 0, it was late. Yes. Like, the, then you beat this. I have to say, because you gave me the most traumatic moments of my life, Mr. Wenger. When you beat Manchester United, you beat West Ham 4 0 at Highbury and you're 4 0 up at half time. And I call up my friend, I said, this is from another planet. This is very dangerous now. And I remember actually feeling <laughs> the first, like, genuine fear. fear. <laughs> oh, yeah. That 4-0 at Highbury, the 4-0 at halftime and Overmars was just, I don't think he even left a, a mark on the pitch, was the most mind-blowing football I think I've seen for a long time. You know, you couldn't catch him. You know, he's, if you're up front 
and he goes, you literally can't catch him. This team, honestly. Overmars was like, you throw him somewhere, you know. When he started, he was just off the mark. Unbelievable. His speed and his legs. You know, there's certain footballers you watch, and Ozil was the same. Mm. I saw Ozil in a, in a friendly for Werder Bremen against Fulham before he moved. And Ozil, you watch his legs and you're like, what is happening? Because he doesn't seem to be moving that quick. And you watch everyone moving. else and he's gone. There's certain people, the way they move, Overmars is one of them. Their legs don't seem to correspond to what is actually happening to the... I can't explain it. What I've got to ask is, how you, how's everything with you now? You're cool with, with everything, what you're doing now? You, you relax, everything's chill? You, you... Yeah, I relax more. I think uh, I have not the same stress, you know. And uh, it, it is amazing because uh, I think competition transforms you slowly into a, a monster by eating your life and you're only obsessed by, by that. So I... I think in my late stage, I discover a bit more that life can be less stressful and uh, have uh, more time to meet friends, family, enjoy to go to a movie or a theater, you know, what I'd never did before. And uh, so overall, maybe I got a little bit in the comfort zone. (laughs) (laughs) Have there been any habits or uh, new hobbies that you've developed? No, I, I still work hard at FIFA, you know, and yeah. I'm in a project that demands a lot of energy. So I do it, but sometimes if I want to go three times to, three days to Corsica, or I can do it, or come back to London, I can do it. So I have, I master more my time. No once uh, you're a manager, every morning you have to go to, to training, you know. So you have no free day, no free time. And uh, so I got a bit more free time. But my life is football and I have to accept that. And uh, I I knew very young the intensity of my desire. I didn't know really where it came from. But uh, still even today, I don't know really. But for me, it was no question. It was football and football and football again. You know, you you, you have people who love football and people who love competition. And great players love football and the competition. If people who only love football, they don't, uh, they're not comfortable too much by having to win always. Mm. But uh, people as well, they love only competition. And uh, I would say uh, I was more a lover for competition. You know? If I learn a new sport, I want straight away to play against somebody to see how good <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask something about that, though, because at the time that you came to England, it wasn't as common as it is now for managers to be so human focused well it is uh, for me the human being uh, uh, was at the center of it and the communication is a vital part to to build the, the strength into people's mind you know but as well i because i worked with the youth teams very early in my life i realized uh, that uh, not everybody gets a chance and as well that uh, you make your life with one strong quality, nobody has all the qualities, and not even uh, Messi, you could say, is no, uh, not good in the air, you know, mm. basically. Uh, it doesn't defend well, but uh, uh, so you, you need make your life with your strong quality. And I always tried to identify what, what is his strong point and where can you express, in what position can you express with strong point. I, I, I took Turam in a small club. He was a right midfielder. I made a centre-back of him. Oh, because, I didn't know. Yeah, that. Lillian. Oh wow, he was a right. I, know, was a right mid- I thought he was a right back all the time. No, that, that, right that explains a lot. He became a right back in the French national mm. team after he, he uh, played centre back for for us. So 
you have to identify what is the strong point and where can they uh, express that, you know. So the, the, the manager is a guide, but as well uh, an observer. And I would say uh, it is a, he is a guy as well who does not... Uh, has a positive uh, view of human being because you can become paranoid in this job. You mm. can see enemies everywhere. But you did have a lot of enemies. That's the thing that comes across when I, in the film, in the movie, like I didn't realize the cost, some of the attacks on you. And one thing I was going to ask you, I think was, it's very clear, like, you know, intensity, obsession, whatever you call it, your desire for the game. Were there ever any points where you felt this is costing me too much? Like my obsession is cut. When, when did that ever, was it a personal thing, a family thing? Did you ever sort of feel, I, this, is, this dream is too expensive for me emotionally? No, never. Never? Never. Wow. That's why I'm looking back, I'm a bit frightened of the monster what is in me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, is it still there? It is still there, yeah. uh, just uh, telling me sometimes, knocking at the door. <laughs> hey, my <laughs> hey, my friend, you forget me here. What's going on? How does that come back out? Then? Do you want that to come back out? Do you need that back out? The monster inside you? Is it? Is it are you the Hulk inside you? I sometimes miss it, yes, you know, that, uh, where you become completely mad. Because I believe as well, uh, what is a, uh, a player is basically a child who refuses to become an adult. I always say, you know, don't become an adult, it's boring. Mm. But uh, remain a child in your life and go with your desire. But what is uh, childhood is intensity. You live the present at 100%. What do we want after in life is always to find this intensity back. And the game, the competition, gives you that intensity. And uh, normal life is flat, you know. You don't have that same intensity unless you, you make a sport. Uh, and sport is, for me, the future of a society as well, because first of all, it's, it's healthy and it is based on merit. But so I wanted to ask you before we go about the, um, what you're doing with the FIFA and giving, like you mentioned, giving the, everybody a chance, like you mentioned the little boy in Namibia and, 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 and London and different places having the chance. In respect of the women's game and what the, F, the federations are doing for the women's game and to try and grow that, is there something more going to be happening to grow the yeah. women's game around the world? I would say yes. And I th personally, I think the 21st century will be the century of uh, women's sport. I'm convinced of that, and especially of women's football, because it's developing very fast. Uh, at the moment, uh, most of the... Uh, uh, many countries have no organized championships yeah. and uh, most of them are amateur, you know, not professional. Yeah. Only a few countries are, like England, France, have professional players. But uh, uh, I'm convinced it's developing, uh, the numbers we see, it's developing very fast. Thanks a lot, Boss. Boss, what films, you, you watching any films at the moment? I was going to ask you that. What kind of films would you watch? Because I'm looking at you, what film would At you the watch? moment, I watch on Netflix, Unauthorized Living. An authorized living. Yeah. It's good. It's not bad to fall asleep. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice one, boss. Thank you very much, boss. Thank you. Thanks for taking us to that, righty, because that, uh, that was some day. And the movie's amazing, man. I, I can't recommend, even if you're not an Arsenal fan, I can't recommend it enough. Can I actually, can I nominate Flowers for this, for this week? Oh my God, we have to, it's, we have to give Arsene Wenger flowers. When you watch this film, guys, you realise exactly what this man has done for Arsenal Football Club. 
you can't, you, you honestly, if you're an Arsenal fan and you don't, you don't shed a tear at least, mm. or you don't feel something mm. like that, then deep down, I have to say, you, you can't be. The only, I have one major gripe with him and that was in the Q&A, that in the Q&A afterwards, he didn't just go, they cooked me. <laughs> they cooked me. <laughs> they cooked me. I did that. Right, he just took a big swig of wine when I said <laughs> Spread it out on a computer. Can you imagine? You know it's like, you should have told me. Like, we should have said they cooked me. They you know what? We, you know what's funny? Because you know what? We should have got him to just say it, and then we could have just kicked. We should have just got him to just say it, and then we could have cut the beginning. We cut in the beginning. Oh man, that's gonna be the start of every fucking episode of Right His Ass. Oh my god! I'm gonna next time I see him, I'm gonna say, "Boss, you have to record it on your phone. Just record it on your phone, quick." Yeah. I'm gonna fuck. They, they cooked me. If he said that, it's the it's the line and jo- it's the drop in the mic. You're you know what's so funny about it though? You know, see how history goes. History is actually like time is a flat circle because you said that thing about Solskjaer, like coaching off pure vibes, right? Mm. But actually, when Sir Alex, well, as he then was Alex Ferguson or just Fergie, when Wenger arrived, he effectively said that Wenger was going to coach off pure vibes. Oh my God. He basically yeah, said it. He was like, like, oh, he doesn't know the way. He's, yeah. He won't know this league. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Said this I before in the podcast. Like sometimes like Barrington said, the vibes is right. And when they're right. The vibes is right. The vibes is right. Like Wenger came, Wenger came in being like, whoa. <laughs> See? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Brilliant. Uh, should we bounce? <laughs> Guys, going to have to leave. It's been amazing. This has been one of, my favourites, if I'm going to be totally honest, simply because um, I went on a whole journey with a man that watching this film made me realise exactly what was driving him. And now I cannot tell you how much I love this man. And so it has to come back down to, in the end, it's all about love, bro. Oh, 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 my emotions. Honestly, Moose. You could My not emotions. have written a better book, bro, in this book. Because in the end, I cannot tell you how much I absolutely adore and love Arsene Wenger. So on that note, guys, I'm going to have to say goodbye. Thanks for having us, man. As I can see you soon. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much, Ryan Hahn. Thank you very much, Samusa Kwonga. I love you guys. Uh, thank you very much, Arsene Wenger. Flowers. We'll see you again soon, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. That was, um, that was amazing. I just love doing that. Hopefully you loved listening to it. So we'll speak again soon. Stay safe and well. God bless.